Hello, my name is Thomas Davis. I'm minister in Carloway Free Church on the Isle of Lewis, way up in the northwest of Scotland. Hello, my name is Andy Longway. I'm minister of London City Presbyterian Church in the heart of our nation's capital. And welcome to the Jesus Today podcast. So good to have you with us again. We really appreciate you being on this journey with us. Uh, and it's so encouraging for us to hear from you. Uh, and thank you so much for everyone who gets in touch. A wee reminder that you can connect with us on Twitter at Jesus Today Pod. And you can email, at us, email us at hello at jesustodaypodcast.com. Today, we are thrilled to be joined uh, with a guest. We have uh, the Reverend Robert Cunningham. Robert is a dear, dear friend of mine, a mentor. He has easily had one of the biggest impacts in my life, uh, my Christian life. Um, I'm so thrilled to welcome you, Robert, to our podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Glad to be with you all. So, Robert, you're actually in Edinburgh right now. Um, What are you up to? Well, we're part, um, I, 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 well, I preached at your church this past Sunday, so I was, I was with you. Um, I've been, I've lectured here at Edinburgh Seminary, Theological Seminary here. I'm actually still at the seminary as we speak, so you might hear some of that noise in the background. Uh, I did some work there. I'm, I'm, I'm pursuing a PhD at University of Leicester in England. And so spent some time there. And then I also brought my family and we are uh, on a little bit of vacation or I suppose holiday, as you always put it. We're on a holiday as well. My kids are out of school this week. So we're enjoying uh, London. And then now we're in Scotland going to do some time up here as well. Nice. Excellent. So you started in London, you went through Leicester, you've come to Edinburgh, you're gradually making your way to the center of the universe. And so surely it's next stop, Carloway, Robert. Well, well, next up, we're, we're heading to Inverness tomorrow. So. Oh, well, close. That's close. You're getting there. You're getting there. Getting keep, there. keep going. <laughs> Well, we're so delighted to have you with us, Robert. Um, it's great to have you here. Um, we're going to start with our favorite game. Uh, every episode, we play this wee game called uh, "He's Right, I'm Wrong." Uh, and today, we can we can have a special edition of the game because we can basically pit both sides of the Atlantic against each other. We can do America versus Scotland. But we'll start off on friendly terms. Maybe you can tell us, Robert, what you know. What you've you've got lots of connections with Scotland. You've visited here many times. Tell us something that you really love about uh, Scottish culture. We'll start with that. Oh, Scottish culture. I love, I'm a, my PhD is in history. Uh, so I appreciate history. And I, every time I'm here is the same, same impression. I just come away amazed um, by all the history. I think the room I'm in right now is older than America. And uh, I just love not just the history, but the traditions. Uh, America is not good at historical traditions. Uh, we're a very an immediate culture um, that doesn't appreciate history very well. And so I love not just the history of the culture, but also all the traditions, all the pageantry, um, all of those things that go into it. It's, it's, it's fun for me. In fact, when we get off this, this podcast, I'm going to take a little a walking church history tour of Edinburgh, which I'm really excited about. Very good, very good, very good. Well, we can understand you appreciating that, appreciating that especially since America has no history uh, prior to <laughs> 1776. Well, well uh, besides the history that we beat you all. <laughs> we were just being kind. And with your defeat, 
We were just being gracious. We were just being shaped by the gospel. <laughs> Andy, you've been to the States a few times. Um, what what do you love about American culture? Yeah, that's a great question. No, I I think American people, um, I know we, we often make jokes, they're loud, but they're probably the most fre- friendly people you'll, you'll meet. Um, they're very straightforward, very generous. Um, I think there's the thing that I love about American culture is that they really are. They talk about American exceptionalism, but there is just a, a can-do attitude. Um, mm. You know, we in Scotland, we're kind of the, the glass is half empty. In America, the glass is full. It just always is full. Um, I think I love that. I, I love I love their food. You know, um, they do barbecue well. They do burgers nice. well. They do Mexican well. Um, so food and yeah, just Good. American nice. people. Good. Yeah, yeah. I think I can echo all of that. I think that's very, very true. But this is all far too friendly. We have to start yeah. talking about the stuff that makes us argue. So, Robert, tell us something like. Tell us where we're going wrong. Tell us something that you don't like about about Scottish or British culture. What rubs you up the wrong way when you come across here? Well, culturally, I have an answer, but Andy brought up food, and that that's a good place to start. Uh, <laughs> your, your food is horrendous. Uh, it's, it's, well, Americans, they go on these trips overseas, and it's so exciting. We went to Italy last summer, and it's just like, oh, the food is just amazing. And you just get to go to these other cultures and you just experience the the cuisine and it's so tasteful. And then you come here and it's just like, how many more bland meals <laughs> can I consume? It's just, I just, it, like, do you, believe it or not, they haven't invented seasoning in this world. <laughs> you, you, it's just every. I mean, before my food gets there, I tell I tell my my server just bring salt and pepper. I just I don't care what you're bringing me. I know I'm going to need to load it up with seasoning. Uh, so yeah, you can work on your food. I would say culturally speaking, you all are just way too polite. I mean, it's it's I, I appreciate it. I, I know you're kind, the pleasantries, all that stuff, but just. I don't know. I mean, like when I'm talking to Andy and I say, you know, I just ask him anything. He's just so scared to even just give me an opinion. Like just, just tell me what you think. Inconvenience me. Don't be so dang polite all the time. It's frustrating. So I just, yeah, y'all could use a good old dose of American assertiveness and um, confidence. Come on. Come on. Okay. Yeah. 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 Maybe fair, fair, fair. Um, what do you think, Andy? You've got to come on, defend us. Oh, no. what, what does America need to sort out? The the English language, um, the fact that we are two countries that share allegedly the same language is not true. So, Robert, I don't know if you know this, but you call your trousers pants. We call Correct. our underwear pants because that's what they are. Right? <laughs> really? Yeah. I didn't Pants underwear. When I say pants. pants over here, people think I'm talking about my underwear. Yeah. 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 <laughs> if you if you go around in your pants, you're committing a crime, Robert. Yeah. Okay, so now here, but th- th- this gives back to my critique of your culture. Why hasn't anybody told me that? You're, <laughs> me. you're letting me walk around your country talking about my underwear instead of just one conversation. If you would just be a little assertive and say, Robert, in our country, pants are underwear. So quit calling it pants. That's all you've had to do. But we've been friends now for like a decade, and you've yet to tell me that pants equals underwear. Robert, in Scotland, we don't talk to people. We talk about people. (laughs) Well, I suggest you start talking to them. (laughs) 
I think that's a very fair point, actually. I'm feeling, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling that we're losing this one, Andy. What do you I think? Know, I, I think we are. Well, so, so I'll give you a perfect example. No, I'll give you a perfect example. My favorite restaurant over here, because it's the only one with flavor, is Dishoom. <laughs> I yeah. love Dishoom. Unbelievable Indian food, right? The yeah. name of the restaurant is Dishoom. <laughs> For three years, I thought the name of the restaurant was Dish Room. And I was going about saying dish room, dish room. Oh, I love dish room. This is the most amazing. The only <laughs> restaurant in your country that I can eat is dish room. Andy never had the confidence to just correct me and say, Robert, it's dish room, not dish room. He let me go about your country saying dish room because he's too polite. Brother, I just I just love stupid Americans being stupid Americans. Do you remember that? <laughs> I know. Oh you remember the first time I was over here, the first time I was over here, I went into a coffee shop and the, you know, in the, the bath or not bathroom, what do y'all call yeah. it? Toilet, which is yes. just, you know, whatever. But I'm in the there and yeah. I figure out how to flush the toilet. And there's this little string hanging down that I thought, okay, I guess you pull this string in order to flush the toilet. And so I pulled the string and alarm goes off. Apparently that was my indication <laughs> of getting off the toilet. <laughs> So I am that dumb American. I fully That's know hilarious. Because in that situation, we would just all go, he's American. It's okay. Yeah, he's yeah, American. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we can leave it to our listeners to decide who's got the better culture, America or Britain? Who's got the better food, America or Britain? Who's got the better English, America or Britain? Robert, it's good you talk about being polite. And not wanting to talk about stuff uh, because that actually that actually introduces our topic for today really really well because um, we want to focus our podcast today on the whole question of money uh, and this is such a massive part of our culture massive part of every one of our lives but definitely for us here um, in the UK it's not something that we like talking about at all and it's funny I, I actually preached on money just um, three or four weeks ago um, which is the first time I've done it in a long 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 time. And even then, you know, um, people were uncomfortable with the with the issue being raised, uncomfortable talking about it. And so, you know, Andy and I were thinking, you know, if we have a podcast on money, we'll just be kind of looking at each other in silence, not knowing what to say. So we thought, right, let's bring in an American. <laughs> he'll, he'll help us out. So so we're really looking forward to, to, to talking through this topic with you. And uh, we're also really grateful to you because mm. we know that it's something that you've thought about a lot and that you've got a lot to share with with our listeners um so as as whenever we start a topic we we always want to make sure we start with jesus that's the big focus of our topic to keep on getting back uh, to jesus to recognize that that um you know he is the one that we need today for all the issues that we're facing um jesus did he have anything to say about money <laughs> jesus jesus talked money more than anything and i think there are reasons for that that we can get into if you'd like uh but but it's interesting you say jesus was more american than british he wasn't afraid <laughs> he wasn't afraid to get up in your business and uh when it comes to politeness and money uh jesus did not follow our cultural norms mm. he was he was unafraid and unashamed to get at uh money in particular. So yeah, I, I think, I think people who have scholars in the new Testament have, have argued that he talked about money more than any other ethical, com, um, ethical issue combined. Mm -hmm. Uh, interesting, interestingly, um, I think money's 
one and sex is two, the two things that we won't touch mm. uh, off limits to preachers were the two things that Jesus spoke to the most. So, so yeah, yeah, it's a big That's issue. Jesus, yeah. Jesus recognizes it. He, he speaks about it more than anything else. And why do you think that is? I would love you to unpack that a wee bit. You know, why, why do you think Jesus did, did make that such a focus of his teaching? Because money is more, money stands alone. Money, the idolatry of money is a unique idolatry. And there's a reason why. Money is called currency for a reason. Because it's a currency um, to, to everything. So if your idol is fame, money can get you fame. If your idol is power, money can get you power. If your idol is um, beauty, money can get you beauty. If your idol is friendship, popularity, money can get you mm -hmm. that. There's nothing in this world that captures your heart in an idolatrous way that in our worldly system, money cannot provide for you. So in some senses, uh, money is the currency of our idolatry. It, 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 it can, it can get, it's a fast track to these treasures on earth that capture our heart. And so I think that's why money is a, stands alone as a unique idol. It's, it really isn't for some, I suppose it is. If you want security, money will get you security. So, so I suppose for some, it is, it is about numbers on a bank account, cash in your pocket, uh, whatnot. I'm sure it's about money itself, but that's typically not the way it works. It isn't about money. It's about money as a pathway into the idols of our heart. And therefore, I think Jesus knew if I can get at that idol, it, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm pressing in on whatever idol it is for you that you are wrongly trusting in money to acquire. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's cute. Yeah, it's so true. So here's another question, Robert. Is, is money in of itself evil? I, I know a lot of rich people can sometimes hear some of the statements that Jesus made and take real right. offense. It's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It'd be easier for you know, a camel yeah. to pass through the eye of a needle. So yeah, is money in of itself evil? No, money, money's, money's value neutral is, is what philosophers, ethics philosophers would, would call it. it's value neutral. It, it depends upon how it's used. You determine the ethics of money. Um, and so you, if you, if you leverage your money for evil, it's evil. If you leverage your money for good, it's good. You, you as, as the moral agent determine the the value of money whether for good or evil uh i i like to play i like to i'm i'm a big golfer and um golfers are notorious for when you're having a you know when you're having a bad round of golf you hit a bad shot i've, I've been known to take the club and just you know beat it throw it or just lose my temper with my golf clubs and one day uh i was throwing a temper tantrum on the golf course and beating my clubs into my golf bag and one of my golfing buddies said to me well yeah that makes sense it's the club's fault and <laughs> and and he's right it the club didn't the club didn't hit the bad shot i'm the bad golfer who yeah. used the club wrongly yeah. uh the golf club can be used to strike the ball well or the golf club can be used <laughs> to strike the club poorly it ain't the club's fault it's my fault <laughs> for how i swing the golf club and the same is true for money it's not money's fault it's yeah. it's what we do with our money. Um, now, having said that, I don't think we should let 
and I'm speaking as American here who swims in circles of high, high wealth, I, I, I do think, I, I hate using that illustration in America because I don't want to let those of us uh, who have wealth, um, I don't want to take the pressure off of the high warnings like you just mentioned, Andy, of, of wealth and its significance. It is value neutral and it's not, there's nothing ethically immoral about having money. It's how you use your money. But Jesus is very clear, again, going back to what I said, because money is the pathway into all forms, mm. the love of money is the root of all mm. kinds of evil for a reason. Yeah. Therefore, it is dangerous. Yeah. It yeah. is dangerous to, um, to, to be very wealthy. Uh, because it give it gives you access that the poor among us do not have. Mm. It, it gives you access to evils and idols that the poor among us do not have. So, you know, I, I, you you cannot say that money in itself is evil. I think it's right to say money in itself can be dangerous. Mm. That's, really that's a great, that's a very very helpful distinction. That actually, and um, just to kind of dig into that a wee bit more, you know. What would you say are some of the warning signs that that you know you're in danger of 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 money getting a grip over you? And um, you know, what are some of the things that that in our our life as as followers of Jesus today, you know, what what are the warning signs that we need to look out for that money is starting to get a grip of us that that is dangerous and that is unhealthy? Well, the 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 easiest warning sign is um, how you're spending it. I mean, if you want to know, it's not hard. It's not hard to see whether money has a, an unhealthy hold on your life. Uh, that that all that requires is a bank statement, and you can look mm. and you can see how again because because the the value the the ethics of money is determined by its usage, and so you just get out of bank account, look at where your money's going, and and you can trace the idolatry. And so the the number one warning sign I can get into some others, but by far the number one warning sign. Um, uh, of 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 money having an unhealthy role in your life is lack of generosity, and so and, you know in America, that passage should haunt Americans that it's that it's easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. That should terrify every single American because every American, globally speaking, is wealthy, um, mm -hmm. and then of course the levels of wealth in America are just unbelievable. And so we should tremble at that. And so what I tell Americans all the time is, look, I, if, if that passage scares you, then then let's just look at your generosity, and um, and let's see if let's see if this passage is a warning uh, to you that you're heeding, or a warning to you that you are hiding from, and that is that is told by your generosity. So uh, I I tell Americans the greatest thing you can do is first set your level of giving and then comes your standard of living so you you set your standard of giving first um, i am going to at bare minimum i'm tithing to my local church and then i am getting reckless and giving above and beyond that to other um, to other christian work in the world other other uh, things that i i feel called to give to so I tithe to my local church and then I give above and beyond and I set yeah. in stone that standard of giving and then comes my standard of living. Most people are tempted to say, I set my standard of living and if there's anything left, maybe I'll give. 
um, reverse that. And that's, that's a good, healthy sign. So, so I think basically how you're spending your money is the number one sign. But then I think you get into uh, tracing the emotions of your heart uh, that, 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 are, that are God's indicators. I mean, of course, the Holy Spirit's presence in our life of conviction. He's speaking to us and we need to listen to him. But, you know, I think um, anxiety over um, losing wealth. I think, I think anxiety is a big test um, of our hearts of, of do I have enough? Um, am I fearing losing it? Um, these kinds of things. I think stress, I think uh, our willingness to work our, again, this might be just more of American thing, but we, we kill ourselves in pursuit. We call it the almighty dollar for a reason in America <laughs> because it is almighty. It is our God. Yeah. Um, and so the stress that we do, we just exhaust ourselves in pursuit of money and neglect our family and, and at times even our Jesus. And so I think the level of stress in your life surrounding money, anxiety, these types of emotions are, are warning signs. So yeah I, yeah, I can go on and on, but that's really helpful. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's one of the things that's so fascinating, you know, Robert, is that, you know, you rightly identify so much of this, you know, as an issue in, in, in American culture. It's massive in, in the UK as well. And it's even massive where I live. I mean, I live, you know, in a remote village on the very northwest uh, of an island in Scotland. And yet, you know, I can look at my window right now and I can see people whose lives are just dominated by money. They've got, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. so fascinating. Yeah, you don't have to. Listen, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It doesn't say money itself, and it doesn't say having money itself. Um, the poor among us, those who don't have, they don't have money, the, the love of money, the idol of money can be alive mm. and well in them, bringing angst and stress mm. and anxiety um, just, as, just as much as the wealthy, we can all be captured by this idol, whether we have it or not. Either we're captured by it and we have it and we're seeing its futility and vanity, or we're captured by it, we don't have it, and we're just slaving away trying to get that idol. Um, but both can be owned. Some of the some of the greediest, most money idolatrous folks I've encountered don't have much of it. They're just longing for it. And conversely, uh, some of the most free, generous um, people I know actually have a lot of money and they're just giving it away. Mm. Um, so I don't think necessarily your net worth determines this idol mm. in our lives. Yeah. I, I once heard Tim Keller um, say something really fascinating. He said, you know, minister in New York, lots of yeah. the people in his congregation work on Wall Street. He said he can remember countless occasions, people coming into his office and saying, I really struggle with lust. I really struggle with anger. I really struggle with pride. I cannot remember once someone coming into my office and saying I struggle with greed. Yeah. And when Jesus speaks about the sin of greed and, and, and possessions having a hold of us, he, he says, watch out. Um, mm -hmm. Because it's one of those sins that we're often so unaware of. And so I really liked what you said there where you can be poor and, or you can have very little and have a really greedy, idolatrous heart. And you can have lots of possessions, but it's, your money's not got you. You've just got it and, and you're mm -hmm. using it to serve the kingdom purposes. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I, I find that really helpful. Just 
slightly different thinking um and, and you've you've kind of given some brilliant practical application about setting giving first and then other things let's just envisage this imaginary young couple um they're mm-hmm. married um they've just bought their first home so they're paying a mortgage um they've they've got kids on the way so they're planning for school they mm-hmm. hope to continue having you know summer vacations summer holidays as mm-hmm. it is mm-hmm. and you know they they, they want to take care of their kids and then they're members in a local church. How would you counsel them as they if they come to you and say, Robert, I, I'd love to think through from a Christian worldview, how do I um relate well with money? And and the other thing is just to add, they're working good jobs. And mm-hmm. um the temptation mm-hmm. say for one of them is that they they might need to sell their soul to their company if they're gonna mm-hmm. try and make it. And so that's just an ever present lure. How would you yeah, disciple them and yeah, I I um I typically come at that question. The sadly, this isn't always true, but typically, the one thing parents love even more than money is their children. Now, again, mm-hmm. sadly, that's not always true, but usually, the one thing that okay, we love this more than money is our kids. So I always come at it with their parenting and children in mind. And I, mm-hmm. I, I really like to help them process, okay, I know the temptation is that you need to provide for your kids security, fun experiences of the world, holidays, great vacations, nice clothes, best education, and, and all these things that you want to give to your kids. Um you, you, you money is required of that and i get it i get it i'm you know please understand everything i'm saying on the podcast is something i wrestled through daily in my life mm-hmm. um but then i say the greatest gift that you can give your children more than um more than their security more than fun holidays even more than education the greatest gift you can give your children is a legacy of generosity is for them to grow up free from the warnings that Jesus, the stark, scary warnings that Jesus gives about the power of money. The greatest gift you can give them is, is for them to just be discipled in the ways of generosity so that when they have money one day, they themselves are not tempted by that idol and they are free from that idol and they know how to steward money well and all that. And so I just say more than security, more than fun things, which are great, and you need to provide those as great, again, after generosity, then those mm-hmm. things, give them the, I know you love your children. I know you don't want your children to grow up greedy, anxious, stressed, full of idolatry, following the ways of the world. I know you don't want to do that. The greatest thing you can do to disciple them out of that is to disciple them in the ways of generosity for you to be a family that lives out crazy, reckless, sacrificial generosity for them to see mom and dad give up things so that they can give their money away, give them that legacy. And that tends to resonate mm-hmm. with parents' hearts because they love their kids so much. And they it may not alarm them to see these idolatry money things going on in their hearts, but it would most certainly alarm them to see it going on in the hearts of their kids. Mm-hmm. And so I just advocate for hand them this familial legacy of christian generosity and charity mm. 
that's I think that's such a such a helpful point. And in so many ways, it's it's about kind of stepping back and having that bigger view of things, bigger vision for your life and for what yeah. it can what it can accomplish. And and you know, Robert, you spoke at the start about how much you love history, and I think that's one thing that I you know just deeply value in in the history of of our communities, especially in Scotland, especially here in the Highlands and Islands. Just a, there was just a deep seated commitment to generosity, and mm. I think that that was something that mm. that was a really really strong part of our of our culture here. And I think it's under threat today. I think it really is under threat today because you know it's it's so funny because today you know we've never had more money, and yet money has never felt more scarce or more hard to get or more hard to keep hard to keep hold of. Yeah. And I think that creates so many uh, so many tensions. If I can give you a, a final question, just to uh, uh, just before we we come to our book recommendation, um, you know, bringing it back to Jesus, you know, looking ahead, what ways can we just cultivate that spirit of generosity in our hearts? Mm. You know, I think that's that. I love yeah. the way you've you've highlighted that word. How can we, you know, how can we cultivate that in our own hearts and in those around us? Yeah, I, I'm going to sound like a broken record here, but it's it's true. Uh, I'm a big believer in. Um, I like um, Jamie Smith, James K. Smith has kind of recaptured this principle, this Christian tradition that habits form our heart and not the other way around. So we typically search for this elusive heart change through introspective emotional work, which I'm not saying isn't a bad pursuit to have. But at the end of the day, our habits form our hearts. And, um, and, Instead of saying, I want to be generous, but it's so hard to be generous. I want to not love money. How do I fix my heart to not love money? How do I, how do I change my <laughs> desires away from the things of the world and on to giving and generosity and selflessness and all that stuff? That actually happens when you start giving. When you just actually, again, set your standard of giving and the more you practice the spiritual discipline of Christian generosity and charity, the more you give, the more you fall in love with giving. Mm. The more you, the more you store. That's why Jesus talks about this storing mm. up. The mm. more you you hoard your resources, the more you self-consume, the more you spend it on pleasure, the more you get, 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 you want more, more, more. And the more you give, 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 the more you want to give away, give away, give away, give away. So if you want to be a generous person, if you want your heart changed, I think you should just get crazy and start giving the money away. And that habit will change your heart. You will fall in love with generosity the more you practice the discipline of Christian generosity. I love that. I love that. So, so beautiful. And, you know, just one thing to add on that. And I'm just, I'm, and I've learned this from you, Robert, but, you know, um. The, the motivation and giving is as as we give ourselves to the habit of generosity and we want to give more is that in many ways we are just imitating the savior who was rich oh. but became poor yeah so through his poverty we might become rich um, no, nothing 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 is more gospel in this world of money idolatry and and particularly in western society and america certainly but it sounds like we've been uh discipling you all probably through our entertainment to fall into our traps of love of money. Um, but, but nothing is more countercultural gospel like mm. than 
than reckless generosity. Um, for you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here's the thing. What if, by our very design, we were created to be selfless, not selfish? Um, we were. Mm. We, that's not a sacrifice. That's who you were made to be. Mm. You were created in the image of a God who gives. Therefore, you find your truest self and life in giving. What's interesting is the whole story ends with him crowning the saints with the crown of glory. And what do we do with that crown? We give it. We lay it down at his feet. And we say, so the end is not, even in the end, it's not receiving our crown. It's thank you for this crown. Let me lay it down. Mm. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. So good. Wonderful. Robert, thank you so, so much. Um, You're welcome. And if any of our listeners, if you've got any questions that this podcast is not, we'd love to hear from you. We are sponsored by Christian Focus. We're so thankful uh, to them for their sponsorship of our podcast. And uh, at the end of every podcast, we love to recommend some resources. Thomas, I think you're going to give a plug this week. Yeah, I've got a book that's just tied in with 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 everything that we've been talking about. It's called A Good Return, and it's by Professor John Lennox, um, a well-known author uh, and mathematician. Uh, he's written a book um, about uh, work, wealth, and wisdom, and it's just a fantastic book. It's not very long, um, really easy to read, and it's looking through the whole questions of of the things we've been looking at today about our motivation to work and to give um, about, you know, understanding how to, to think in terms of, you know, our secular work in relation to the gospel, thinking about how we can manage our wealth well and how we can um, we can give gener- generously to support the work of the gospel. Um, so just a really helpful book um, for this whole topic. And, you know, in many ways, it's probably a good question to ask ourselves, you know, have I have I ever read a book on money? Have I ever read a book on wealth? Um, uh, and work and how I should apply that. Um, if you never have, you know, I think it's a really wise thing to do. Uh, and we can thoroughly recommend A Good Return by uh, John Lennox. While you're here, Robert, I'd love to ask you, though, um, you know, have you have you had any favorite books that you can recommend to our listeners? I would say this. You, you brought up, Tim, uh, you brought up Keller's uh, mm. stuff. I, I would just say, you know, for all of, of course, he is just this, you know, you could talk about his, his sermons, his public apologetics, all that stuff. I think the unique, the enduring legacy of his ministry might be the fact that he was in the heart of New York City, the where in the, in, the entire world economy is concentrated, ministering mm-hmm. to hedge fund billionaires and somehow got them to love Jesus and give their money mm-hmm. away. Um, and I would just say, just maybe just his, if you just go, I think he has unique gift in this yeah. area in particular. Mm-hmm working with wealth, where if you were just to Google his sermons and writings on anything money, it is always on the forefront of his ministry. Oh, yeah, Counterfeit Gods has a chapter. You're right. Counterfeit Gods. He just held that up for those who are not audio. He just held out that book. Counterfeit Gods. There you go. That chapter on money. But but he, because he just faced it all the time, yeah. I think it's just he, he he's gold in this area. So I, I would commend him. Robert, it's been absolutely fantastic having you with us. So good to talk through, um, you know, money. You've shared so much wisdom. I also loved, you know, what you said about British cuisine. Uh, I was intrigued by what you said about Jesus being more American uh, than British. Uh, ever since you said that, I've been thinking of the Lord's Supper, where I now am thinking of Jesus asking for bread, asking for wine, and then says, 
Can you add some salt and pepper? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, Robert, I hope you're able to enjoy some dish room today. And <laughs> dish room. I went last night. I went last night. <laughs> No, well, brother, thank you so much. We are so thankful. And for our listeners, if you've never checked out Robert's own podcast, Every Square Inch, it is a must listen. Follow it, subscribe to it. Uh, Robert is one of the easily the, one of the most gifted thinkers as, as a Christian of our generation. And I've been immensely blessed by uh, his ministry. So check out Every Square Inch. Thank you, Robert. All right. Love you guys. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. And thanks to everyone for listening. We'll catch you again soon.